You're listening to TIP. In this week's episode, I chat with Jackie Cho about the world of online business, including how to start an e-com business, what products to consider for an e-com company, the future of niche sites, and much, much more. Jackie is a successful entrepreneur, marketer, and podcaster. He buys, sells, and operates online businesses full-time. I found Jackie on Twitter and have learned a bunch about online businesses from him there and in his newsletter. He's also helped me out quite a bit with specific questions that I've had. If you're interested in online business and marketing, he's a great person to follow. And now, without further delay, let's get right into this week's episode with Jackie Cho. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your hosts, Robert Leonard, Patrick Donnelly, and Kyle Grieve, interview successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Millennial Investing Podcast. I am your host, Robert Leonard. And with me today, I have Jackie Cho. Jackie, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. I hope I don't embarrass myself on this. I know a a little bit of your story. We've talked on your pod and we've talked quite a bit off air, but I don't know your whole story. I don't know exactly how you got started. Have you ever had a normal job? And what was your first foray into online business? I guess we could start from the beginning. I did electrical engineering in university, got my uh, degree there. But in between, I hated it so much. I was actually just rummaging through my stuff because I'm back home right now and uh, pulled out a midterm. Like it was 15 out of 50. And that was like a 25% midterm on a third year electrical engineering course. And I remember that actually very clearly because that was the moment I knew I didn't want to do electrical engineering for the rest of my life. And then I think like a week later, I found an internship in Berlin. And then a month later, I was in Berlin. So I took a year off, did a year at a marketing agency in Berlin. And I guess you could say the rest was history. Eventually came back, graduated, and then uh, decided to move back to Berlin after I graduated. Found uh, a growth manager job. Eventually became a head of marketing at another startup. And then... Yeah, I think I eventually started consulting, had a couple great uh, e-commerce businesses, I guess we'll talk about later. And then now we're here. If you were an electrical engineer, why did you choose a marketing agency? Like, Why did that stick out to you? So the exact moment was, I knew I couldn't make money doing electrical engineering because I wasn't great at it. And so I googled how to make money online. And then I found uh, digital marketing. That's where I landed. What did you learn? Like, what did that marketing agency do? Like, what was their main business model? Marketing agency, as you know, but for the listeners, is like very broad. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many different things you could do as a marketing agency. What? Did, so, what did they focus on? What did you focus on for them? And what did you learn? Like, what were the biggest things you learned there? I think in the beginning of my career, I worked at three jobs. One was a mobile marketing company, so they like helped apps launch and like helped them get ranked on you know the app stores, kind of like SEO. And then we did a lot of display ads for them as well. I think my next job was at a hardware company doing growth marketing for them. So I guess that's a bit more down my lane because I study electrical engineering. And then I think six months into that job, I applied for a director of growth position and somehow got it at a photography startup. So think like Instagram copycat, which was eventually sold. But yeah, I did a lot of uh, SEO there as well. 
is that what your main focus was at the the photography startup? Was it just SEO mainly? Is that how you got into SEO? Were you doing SEO at the marketing agency too? No SEO at the marketing agency, SEO at the hardware company, and lead generation and SEO at the photography company. What did you do for SEO for that startup? Like what is a like I know you said it's Instagram kind of copycat or competitor. So like what does Instagram do for SEO or what did that company do for SEO? Yeah, so I think it was a lot of uh, stock photography keywords, and then we wanted to sell like major brands on stock photography or like partnerships. I think it would be more like Instagram meets Getty stock images. It's like user generated, and they can sell their imagery. And uh, we helped rank for I don't know like kids playing on playground photography or photos, you know, stuff like that. How did you learn SEO? I know you said you did it at the hardware company, but did you just learn it by doing it hands-on there? Or did you take courses, read books, listen to people? Like, What did you do even before doing it at the hardware agency and then at the photography startup? Like, What did you do to learn SEO? I learned everything by just Googling and trial and erroring. I don't think I had any formal training ever. Actually, even till this day, I'm pretty against courses. But yeah. I think uh, my mind can still be changed. Why are you against courses? I kind of am too. Not completely, but a little bit. So I'm curious why you are. Mostly because I think courses is good for accountability. And if you're a self-starter like I am, I guess, you can learn just about anything you want on the internet. So look at Harvard with their coding classes or courses online. Uh, You have Khan Academy nowadays. You have Duolingo. If you want to learn something, you can just get out there and do it. A course won't help you do that unless you feel like spending money will get you there. But then then again, you have like a mindset issue at that point. It's not so much a, an education problem. And I mean, there's YouTube too. I mean, you can learn yeah. literally anything you want on YouTube, like anything. Exactly. Yeah. And I actually, for example, I also learned like finances through YouTube. So I learned how to navigate all that through, I think... Yeah, just multiple YouTubers. Show us them, but can't think of any. Who did you watch? I think during the last couple of years, it was mo- mainly podcasts. But yeah, they're mostly like they're not very not they're not very educational. But I would pick up terms they use and then just Google them. So it would be mostly like my first million all in podcasts, and then just doing deep dives off of like things they mention, but I don't have any knowledge in. And uh, it's just a way of sparking interest for me. And then I just do go down the rabbit hole. So today, I know you have Indexy, and, which does a couple different things. And then you also have Far and Away. Uh, you might have some other stuff so, that I'm, I'm not aware of. So what's everything that you have going on right now in terms of business? Business. So I have a portfolio of content sites. We call them niche sites. And uh, I have a newsletter, like a marketing newsletter. And uh, all that falls under Indexy, which is the holding company for that. And also have a productized um, SEO service. And all that combined is probably my largest revenue source. And then I have Far and Away as well, which is like a direct-to-consumer uh, dinnerware brand. Is that the only e-com you're doing right now? Yeah. I think we got burned in the past with a couple FBA businesses, mostly because of our lack of knowledge, not so much of uh, the platform issue. But yeah, as of now, eh, I have a couple like smaller brands, like an online interior design company, 
if you count that as e-com. Yeah, I think that's about it. For far and away, I want to I want to talk a little bit about e-com. So for that that brand far and away, how did you get your your very first customer? You have this idea for an e-com business. How did you go out and get your first customer? Yeah, so we had to prove out like a product market fit first first and foremost. And we did that actually through uh, dropshipping. So we had a seven-figure dropshipping store. Between my last job and now, a lot of it actually is because of the success we found in dropshipping. We did that via Shopify and we sold dinnerware from China. And we quickly scaled. It was crazy. Like I remember our first 10K day and my co-founder and I were like jumping up and down cursing out Warren Buffett saying we're coming after him. Immature stuff like that. Uh, We were ready to take on the world. But then Facebook algorithm destroyed us. So we got like banned on several Facebook accounts because we were dropshipping. So shipping times were long. And iOS, iOS update happened. So what that means is you're unable to track across different devices. For example, if you see on mobile and purchase on desktop, Facebook used to be able to track that. But now it's not the case anymore. So you lose like conversion data, which disables their ability to or hinders their ability to optimize. So we scaled up to 300K a month. We did like 2 million a year or something like that. And eventually tanked down to 100K a month. We were sad and down in the dumps and eventually exited to private equity for uh, a crappy multiple. But we did do one thing, which was prove out the business model, saying there is a demand for luxury dinnerware goods. So we took that cash. My co-founder and I decided we're going to do things right with Far and Away. So we went straight to Portugal, where there's a long-standing history of ceramics. Visited, like, went across the country for like two weeks, went to like 14 different factories, and ended up with a family-owned factory. And we've been partnered with them. And it's been a lot of ups and downs, I will say that. Yeah, it's a, a lot of work. COVID destroyed us with uh, logistical issues. Shipping prices went up during that time. We were questioning if this was even a viable business anymore. But now that things have settled down, we're at a str- solid like profitability and we've opened up new channels of revenue. So that's pretty exciting. So you already had product market fit, but like, what did you do to get your customers? Did you just get the customers through... Did you just throw up Facebook ads and, and wait for them to convert? Like, What did that process look like? How'd you get your first customer? First customer, well, we did a Kickstarter campaign, actually. The beauty of Kickstarter is you don't need to fork up much cash. You don't have to hit the MOQs for the factory. All you have to do is go to the factory, shoot some beautiful videos and imagery, and launch on Kickstarter. And we were able to get, I think it was something about 100K US dollars all in from our Kickstarter campaign. And we used that to launch, pay for a first batch of inventory, make sure everything worked. And yeah, I guess the rest was history. How'd you get the people to the Kickstarter campaign? We used various agencies and also like Kickstarter is a different beast, right? So you would use a lot of Facebook ads and also... Organic Kickstarter is extremely powerful. So it's like a almost like SEO. So if you rank at the front page of Kickstarter, it's like a guaranteed six-figure campaign. So um, you just have to use Facebook ads and various agencies' um, email list and it'll push it upwards. 
And that's what we did. We also built our own list with our own Facebook ads. But it turns out the agencies, because they have a very mature pixel of Kickstarter backers, so they just simply do a retargeting and they take like a fat fee. You mentioned that the Facebook algorithm kind of went away for you guys with that the dropshipping business. What happened there? Like, why did you guys get banned? What ha- what changed with the algorithm other than just the iOS update? Like, what what happened? So exactly what happened is. If Facebook knows you purchased something from their ad, if you fired a Facebook uh, conversion pixel on their ad, they'll pr- pretty much show... Uh, they'll ask you in a couple of weeks how you found the brand. Like, what did you think of it? And if you're dropshipping in a couple of weeks, no one has received their products. So they're probably... They're like giving you negative reviews. And if you get too many of those, uh, Facebook just bans you. So your ad ratings are low and you get completely clapped. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A dot com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. How did you learn about Facebook ads? I know you said you don't have any like formal training in SEO. Is it the same with Facebook ads? And, and if so, what did you use for informal training? I know you were probably Googling, but like what things were you Googling? What resources did you find? Were you watching YouTube videos? What websites were good? Like how, how did you become a Facebook ads kind of expert? I'm actually not an expert. My business partner runs the Facebook ads, but I do now for a couple other brands. 
It's pretty easy, actually. They make it pretty dumbed down for you. I think the key to Facebook ads is one, test a lot of different creatives, two, the proper targeting, and three, is uh, maturing your pixel. So, what that means is in the beginning, you have to burn a lot of money to get purchase data onto Facebook. So, in the beginning, you're pretty much uh, shooting from the hip or firing in the dark. And after you get a couple signups or a couple purchases, then Facebook knows how to op- optimize. And after then, it's just all gravy. And eventually, if you have enough purchasers, you create lookalike audiences from that. And Facebook is so good at finding lookalike audiences. When you say burn a lot of money, how much are you talking? Like f- 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 100,000? What, what is the lot in that case? I think can only speak on the dropshipping side. Albert and I, so Albert is my co-founder, we both decided to put in five grand each of just like burn money. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I think we were we burned eight grand in total. We're about to pull the plug. And then suddenly an ad like just takes off. You just need one, right? You just need one and it pays for everything and more. And from that moment on, yeah, we just cranked it. And then yeah, the rest was history. It's funny because I saw a brand that was for sale on a online business marketplace. I don't remember which one. And I looked at what they were doing. Their numbers were pretty strong. I mean, their margins weren't great. Their gross margins were decent. Their net margins weren't great. But overall, they were doing decent. And I was like, okay, they have no real margin of safety. Like They have no competitive advantage. They, they, this is something like I could easily do. I'm not going to buy this business. It's for sale, but I'm not going to buy it. Like I can see all their financials. I can see exactly what they're doing. Like I could just replicate this business. So I tried to kind of like work on that. I gave it a couple of weeks and I spent some money on Facebook ads. And I was kind of surprised because like this company's website was horrible. I could see their Facebook ads through the Facebook ad library. Their ads were horrible. I had better ads. I had better creative. I had a better website. Everything was like a lot cleaner than what they had. And I just you know I spent, I mean, I didn't spend a lot of money. I think I spent maybe a thousand dollars or so on Facebook mm-hmm. ads and I could I didn't get a single customer. Tons of visitors, but not a single customer. And so I just kind of put that project on pause for now. But like it's interesting to me because I know it works. Like I know they've proven the market. I've seen verified ads or sorry, reviews for them. So like I know what they're selling works. I know it's like I know it can happen. I just was really confused as to like why what I was doing wasn't working. And maybe Maybe I didn't give the pixel enough time to mature. Maybe I didn't spend enough money or, or you know, burn enough money to, to teach the pixel. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think we can go deeper into this just live. A lot of the times there's two points where you can have where you mess up. And one is the ad. You have to look at cost per click. If your cost per click is low, that means your ad is good. Like full stop. We have to check your cost per click. I don't know what you were at. If it's, I think... If it was less than 50 cents, you have a pretty good ad. But if you want to... And then then you can talk about the website. I think 9 times out of 10, the websites of the businesses I've taken a look at are absolute garbage. And they don't have proper CRO in place, which means like conversion rate optimization. There's like a lot of e-commerce common practices. For example, uh, sticky add to cart button or one-click purchase. There's a, a lot of common practices that people most of the time don't follow or site speed. People take like five, five seconds to load, then it's, it's over. So it's a, a certain percentage of people will always convert. And that percentage of people depends on your website. I think you can always work backwards from there. Most of the time, it's the website. I'm happy to take a look at it afterwards if you want. Yeah, I, I definitely would like to chat with you a bit more about it. 
and the site is definitely not perfect. Like this was the first Shopify site I've ever built. I've built actually quite a few like content sites and you, you and I have mm-hmm. talked about that. So I would say that the, the Shopify site itself is nothing like super special. It's not definitely not CRO optimized, you know, it's not optimized for that, but it, I mean, I think it's decent, it's clean, it's organized, et cetera, compared to like what I saw this competitor have. And what was interesting too is, is it might've been my expectations because I could see their whole P&L for the last three or four years. So I could see what they were spending on marketing. I could see, I could estimate roughly their AOV. So I could say, okay, this is roughly probably their AOV given their prices of their products, their revenue. This is how much they're spending on marketing. I could kind of ballpark a customer acquisition cost. I could roughly ballpark that. So I'm like, okay, it was like 40 or 50 bucks. So I was like, okay, if I can spend, I should be able to get my first few customers around 40, $50 a piece. And uh, yeah, I spent, I have my Facebook ad account up here and I, I mean, I spent some money on it and it, it is like a thousand dollars and zero customers. And I'm looking oh, at cards? that I'd have to check, but you mentioned the, the cost per click. So the ones that had a lot, like a lot more impressions were a little bit higher, but I had some that were 40 cents, 51 cents, 55 cents. So these are all different ads under different ad sets, but I had 40 cents, 51 cents, 55 cents, 65 cents, 71 cents, 93 cents, a dollar 10, a dollar 12, a dollar 19, and a dollar 41. Not super high, but also not like super low either. Yeah. I mean, those cost per clicks seem decent. Are you, are you only targeting US, by the way? Yeah, that was US only. Okay. So another thing with Facebook ads is you absolutely need to target conversion campaigns. So conversion optimized campaigns with purchase. Uh, never anything down the funnel. Like Facebook's so good at that already. So for example, even if you have zero purchase data, you always click optimize for purchase because then Facebook finds lookalikes from other campaigns and match, tries to match it for you. I don't know what you're optimizing for though. Some people optimize for click. No, I think it was optimized. I'm pretty sure it was optimized for the sale, not clicks. Okay. Yeah. Then uh, you'd have to look down the funnel. For example, cost per view product, cost per add to cart, cost per initiate checkout and see where they're falling off. You can look up like industry norms in terms of like the rate at which they do these actions and you'll see where the, they fall off. But typically it's at cart. Yeah. I got to dig into that, that data a bit more. You mentioned that when you sold your brand, your econ brand that was doing the drop shipping, you got a bad multiple when you sold it to private equity. Why was that? Was it just because it was a drop shipping business and, and there's no real defendable moat, like I said, with this other company that I was looking at, or was it something else? And also it was on the decline. So decline declining sites get like awful multiple, if any. So I think I think it was under two X EBITDA, way under. And we had to get like a nasty earnout as well. Which we only saw, I think, we only got like 70-80% of it because uh, the P firm just kind of ran away and like declared bankruptcy. But kind of sketchy because they're still active. Do you... Is Far and Away built on Shopify? Yep. Do you just basically only use Shopify for your e-com businesses? Is there any other like alternative that might be worth considering? Yeah. I think uh, anyone who suggests otherwise or probably idiots. You need to stick with Shopify. There's no other platforms like Viable. There's nothing else. I also noticed on the Far and Away website that you have quite a few blogs, blog posts. How do you translate that SEO traffic and the blog posts into product sales? 
So that is primarily for display and affiliate ads and revenue. I tweeted about this before, but I believe all e-commerce stores should open up different channels of revenue or revenue streams. And that would include display ads and affiliate revenue as well. And the reason being, e-commerce is very competitive nowadays. Most of them operate at 5 to 10% net margins. And with affiliate and display ads, you're able to bump that up much, much higher. And I've shown that with far and away. I think uh, if any of your listeners are in SEO, throw that into Ahrefs or SEMrush and you'll see what I'm talking about. I did we're that. Able to, yeah, I did yeah, that. I took, to I took the URL and I put it into SEMrush and I looked at it. I'm like, he's getting a ton of traffic for an e-com site. And then I went in and I saw, wow, he's got affiliate. I didn't see your tweet about this, but I was like, wow, he's got mm-hmm. affiliate you know, sections here, CTAs in these blog posts and they're not even for his brand and he's got some display. You know, I was like, wow, this is really interesting. I've never seen this from an, from an e-commerce platform or company. I think not many people do this. I think some examples of companies who do this well would probably be Epic Gardening on the display ad side, but I don't think they have a very strong affiliate side. So affiliate actually takes out most of our revenue in terms of the non-e-commerce sales. Yeah, my tweet was about like, if we want to break down the math far and away, maybe I'm giving example numbers out there. Uh, It's not my place to reveal it because I have a business partner. But let's give an example. It's about there 50k a month. And at 10% net margins, you're only at 5k a month. And that's very hard to grow with 5k a month in free cash flow. Or even if you say 10k a month, right? But far and away right now, I can speak on this is doing probably... 4.5k in affiliate sales and we're about to turn on display ads next month which will get probably $2000 a month. So that's 6.5k in just or no, that's 7.5k, 6k, 67k. Never do public math. 67k a month in free cash flow just right there. And if you add that to the 5k a month in free cash flow from the e-commerce site, think about it. It's just like uh, it adds to the multiple of the e-commerce site. It relieves pressure off of the core business to have to grow at a sustainable amount. And we're able to reinvest quicker. Are you passionate about the products that you sell for far and away? And if you're not, which my guess is you're probably not, but correct me if I'm wrong. How do you stay motivated to work on it? Funny enough, I'm actually pretty passionate about home goods. I'm like a lover of interior design and architecture. I have a... So if you if I laid out all my content sites for you, you'll see that a lot of them are actually in the home space. That's because I actually like it. So I mentioned online interior design. I have an architecture uh, blog that's doing very well. And I have far and away. So there's like a lot of synergies in between. Yeah, I'm very passionate about it. I think far and away was started because we wanted it to be us doing it right and not just for capitalism. You know, We wanted to work with family-owned factories, wanted to go with products we're happy to recommend to friends and family. But at the cost of our cogs being absolutely sky high compared to if we sourced from China as opposed to Portugal. You said in a recent tweet that e-com sites are favorable right now. Why is that? And do you think e-com is a good business model for people just getting started with online business? E-com sites, the context of that was e-com sites are favorable on Google because Google sees it like it's not a niche site and they're not just trying to game Google for 
display ads and affiliate site revenue. But that's personally what I've seen. And uh, I've been working with a couple other brands and that's definitely confirmed. And is it a good business to start in 2023? I would say yes. Yeah. I think e-commerce is definitely the way to go if you want to scale up quickly. And you're able to test now with a lot of these suppliers and dropshipping suppliers, even onshore dropshipping suppliers. You're able to test very quickly. And what we did for the dropshipping business was if we were able to prove out a product winner, we source it quickly, get it into the warehouse in the US. And using 3PLs, we're able to fulfill quickly. That's it. You use dropshipping to test out products. If you find a winner, private label and build a real brand. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. That's airbnb.com host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. How do you think about margins when it comes to e-com? I know you said that 5 to 10% net is fairly common, but is there a certain gross margin that you require before you'd consider an idea for a product or service? Yes, it's got to be like 70, 80 plus gross margins. Sell it for 100, 
you have to acquire that product for 15, 20 bucks, 25 bucks in the most and, and net $75, $80 per sale. Yeah. You can get lower, but your ads would have to be so good. What else do you, you look at or consider when you're trying to decide whether or not a product is good for e-com? Because I'm sure it's not just the margins. Is it maybe whether it's a consumable, where you can get the product, how fast you can fulfill, the size, weight, shipping, things like that? Like, What else are you looking for? Shipping, weight, all that goes into gross margins. We just lumped that all together. And uh, with dinnerware, it was such a nightmare because the dimensional weight is so large. But it's not very dense, right? Because we have to watch out for breakages. But now we got some insurance, so it's it's actually not that bad. But a lot of headache was went into that because we kept having our dinnerware break like break during shipping. But uh, what else do we consider? We typically always test that there is a product market fit before launching a new product. So, for example, we tried to launch another Kickstarter. I think it was last year, I believe, for French scented candles. Like we try to do artisanal, you know, this company's been around since the 1600s, served like the king. They have like a sigil. And we told a beautiful story, tried to launch on Kickstarter. It flopped so hard, but it saved us a lot of money. Albeit we did spend 20K like producing the assets on the trip because we got like some crazy Nat Geo videographer. But I guess we got the memories from it. It was good fun. We've talked a lot about e-com, but you also mentioned that you have a portfolio of niche sites. How are you thinking about niche sites right now with AI coming onto the scene? Do you think niche sites are dead? I think display ads will be dead soon. Display ad-driven content sites will be destroyed soon because AI will probably replace the queries on Google. For example, can dogs eat lettuce? That will be answered in a single line. And no one's clicking into any sites for that in the future. But I do see a business case for sites like best dog food or best dried dog food because people are comparison shoppers on Google and it's really hard to get rid of that habit. And people still want to click into links and see the different types of dog food. So you've made money on kind of all three sides with niche sites, agencies, and e-com. Which of those three do you think is the best and which one do you prefer? I would say I prefer niche sites, but I see the argument for agencies and e-commerce is very tough to do right. Reasoning being niche sites, you don't have to deal with anyone. You're kind of... And it works really well for my personality type. I hate getting on calls with clients. So that scratches out agencies and I just kind of want to tinker. And that works really well for niche sites. And margins are incredibly high with niche sites. But the only downside is it takes a lot of time to ramp up. So it takes 6 to 12 months to ramp up a niche site. That's where agency comes in. Agency is cash right now. And if you have niche sites to prove out your expertise, people love coming to you. And agencies are great for cash flow, pretty decently high margin business, and extremely low risk. So the other side of niche sites and e-commerce as well, business can go to zero relatively quickly and it has happened in the past. So in those times, I'm very glad I still have my agency side and uh, didn't go all in. A lot of your branding on Twitter is about buying online businesses. What businesses have you bought in the past? Yeah, purchased a lot of content sites and a lot of portfolios as well. 
I think one in particular, I mean, the largest deal in the last couple of years is probably this mid six figure portfolio of niche sites. And it, it came with custom rate affiliate, Amazon affiliate account. So what that means is most people would get 2% or 3% on home goods if they refer to, if, if they were refer a sale onto Amazon, but I get 8%. So what that means is moving forward, any Amazon affiliate site I buy, I'm able to add immediate value, three to four times that value. So I've been able to do that, replicate that. And the payback period for some of these sites go down to probably like a year. So what that means also is after everything is paid back, your initial principal is paid back, everything else is just pure profit. And I've been trying to do that the last couple of years and just kind of stacking the MRR. How did they get that commission rate? So this is extremely rare now, unless you're BuzzFeed or one of the or um, uh, New York Times, they don't really give them out anymore. So this was grandfathered in from the previous owner. And they used to be large Amazon affiliate site owners, but then they got clapped by Google. And then they bundled up a bunch of crappy affiliate sites and sold it to me. And I bought it primarily for the rate card and have profited heavily ever since. Are you worried that that could go away? Yeah, but I'm a degenerate gambler, so I'm ready for that. You also, on your site as part of your agency, you mentioned that you sell backlinks. And I know it's a bit of a trade secret, so you can't tell us exactly the answer to this question. But tell us what you can, at least, about your process for getting the links that you sell. Actually, it's not a trade secret. It's just a lot of work. And you have to scale up a lot of uh, VAs to do this. So what happens is you scrape a bunch of sites and you scrape their emails and you reach out to them saying, hey, we want to buy backlinks off your site. And there's a lot of back and forth required. You have to negotiate. You promise them wholesale rates because we're an agency. We promise them like a lot of sales in the next coming months. And we're able to get it down to a point where gross margins are probably anywhere from 40 to 80%. And we just make the spread. How much does that help your niche site portfolio? I would say quite... I mean, it's solid because we never have to worry about links. We just take the profits from the link building agencies and our connections there and just build the best ones for our own businesses. What kind of businesses are you, are you looking to buy now? Right now, just uh, distressed businesses mostly. A lot of e-commerce businesses are getting clapped left and right because uh, funding dried up. If they've ever taken VC funding, they're all clapped. They're underwater because e-commerce businesses are not good for VC. And it's been proven out throughout the years. So you're supposed to run them like a cash flowing business, 10 times out of 10. It's been proven out with Allbirds getting destroyed. Um, there's with Casper get, going under, or probably getting taken public. Made.com was destroyed on the London Stock Exchange. I think they went bankrupt and they sold Made.com domain for like 2 million at like fire sale, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I think they're just not VC funding funded companies. I personally like that you do this, so don't take it the wrong way. But why do you share your income and net worth data? What is the benefit to you? Hard to find the benefits, but because I've been audited like four times now by the CRA, which is the Canadian Revenue Agency. If you guys are listening to this, please stop. I pay my taxes. But the reasoning is because in the SEO space, a lot of your listeners probably won't understand this, but People in the SEO space are extremely opaque. And 
having been in the industry for all like 10 plus years, I've noticed there's a lot of grifters. There's people who with like no money pretending like they have money, people who suck at SEO pretending like they do great SEO. And I just wanted to go out and just release all the information and let the people decide like who the experts are. And a lot of people throughout the years have tried doing income reports and they eventually all stop when their revenues start going down. But I was able to, you know, keep on it and it's kind of like uh it tracks the S&P pretty closely, I must say, right now. Let's break down that that income and net worth data that you share starting with your income and then we can talk about what you do with that income. What are your largest sources of income? So right off the top of my head, I would say Indexy, which is the holding company with a bunch of affiliate sites. That is honestly probably like 80% of it, but we can break it down a bit more. So the agency side plus productized service. So that means selling the link links, probably majority of it, 50 plus percent typically. Then we have Amazon affiliates. I think last month I did 45K. Mediavine, which is like a display ads. I think we did like 30 something K. And then I got some like miscellaneous stuff like short-term rentals income, which is like I have a short-term rental building in Portugal that does like 10K a month. And yeah, just smaller affiliates like Binance affiliates and uh, VPN affiliates that do like 3 to 5K a month. Once you've earned all of that income, what do you do with it? How do you break down your, your net worth? Well, my net worth, a lot of real estate. I think total equity in real estate is majority of it. And I have a lot of cash right now, which isn't great. But I mean, by cash, I mean T-bills or bonds. We don't really have T-bills in Canada. And a lot of stock. So equities. I guess that's what your audience is about. But yeah, I'll probably do a breakdown of what exactly I hold. I have a lot of Tesla. Your your audience is probably going to cringe, but a lot of my equities came from me being like a complete degen during like the GameStop days. And I think I made like well into the six figures on GameStop calls. And I was smart enough to roll them into Tesla stock. And I've been just riding that ever since. So I'm just kind of chilling. You deal with a lot of criticism online, like anybody does really with a, a personal brand or a large following. Part of the the criticism is from sharing your net worth and your income, and part of it is just other stuff, like I said, that just comes from having a, an online presence. How do you deal with the criticism? If they're valid, fair enough. I'm decently open about uh, criticism if they're con- constructive. I don't think I get too many just like random hate comments besides... I mean, because I'm so transparent, I don't really get that much. But people do notice like, oh, I don't fully disclose... For example, far and away, the e-commerce side, they, they claim that I'm not fully transparent because I don't disclose that. That's a bit weird because I'm not the only shareholder in that company. So it's not really my place to say. But I think I tend to typically address them and try to understand why they are criticizing, see if I can like better myself. If, if it's like just full on hate, I typically just ignore or mute. I think muting on uh, Twitter is like one of the greatest growth hacks of all time. Because with that, if you block then your haters won't be able to comment anymore and you lose engagement on your posts. But if you mute, they'll still engage and they'll still boost the algorithm, but you won't see it anymore. So it's like a win-win. Before we wrap up today, I want to give you a chance to tell everyone listening where they can go to find out more about what you have going on your online businesses, your newsletter, your social media profiles. Where, where do you want people to go to connect with you? 
Yeah, I mean, if you want to see my full net worth or revenue breakdowns on a monthly basis, go on to marketingletter.com and just sign up for my newsletter. And everyone can find me on Twitter if you just search my name, Jackie Chow. And uh, or my at is index the I N D X S Y, and that's it. Check out my YouTube videos as well. That's the plug. I'll put a link to Jackie's resources, social media, YouTube, etc., in the show notes below, so you guys can go connect with him and, and pick his brain and, and learn more about what he's got going on. He tweets a lot of really good, a lot of really good stuff that I've I've learned a lot from. So recommend you guys go check it out. Jackie, thanks for taking time out of your day to to join me. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. All right, guys, that's all I had for this week's episode of Millennial Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin, and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.